the Spectator's prestigious Economic Innovator of the Year Award in partnership with Investec and now in their sixth year. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the success of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. Applications are now open and will close June 16th. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Hill and Katie Balls. So later this evening, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will be heading over stateside to meet Joe Biden. Katie, what are they going to be talking about? So this will be the fifth bilateral Rishi Sunak has held with Joe Biden since he entered number 10, the first bilateral in Washington. And I think it's a trip where there's lots of things on the agenda. So trade, for example, uh, security, the idea that Ben Wallace, the current defence secretary, should be secretary general of NATO, Mm. uh, so which the US backing would be very helpful with. And then also AI, artificial intelligence. And I think... Richard has been doing a lot on the world stage of late um, at a time when I think there's concern back home domestically on the five priorities. What is quite interesting about artificial intelligence is I think there's definitely been a bit of a change in the mood around it in the past few weeks within government after Rishi Sunak held uh, various meetings with uh, leaders in the field. And now the UK is looking to uh, not just take an approach on regulating AI to the point that I think the white paper from two months ago is is pretty out of date already, Mm. but also um, trying to uh, be a world leader, which we often hear from the UK. Um, They want to be a world leader in AI. And I think it's interesting because I think some of these companies thought the UK would be a place where perhaps they could go and be very nimble with the rules on AI. And I think that's still very possible. But what Rishi Sunak keeps talking about is actually regulation, regulatory body, and actually almost a a watchdog type role. And you have the EU and America already talking to one another about ways to regulate it. And I think the UK is trying to get in the conversation effectively. Um, So there's a few ideas, I think, going around about what they could do, depending on what Joe Biden would agree to in terms of, uh, you know, joint research projects. Is there a UK-US type conference they could host on on the future of AI and different bodies in terms of ways of regulating in the future? Now, I think every day we pick up a paper and there's a new uh, announcement that AI is going to wipe out civilization quite soon. So clearly, if that were to be the case, there's a big incentive for the government to get to grips with AI. But I think also in government, they see a domestic advantage potentially, which is they think uh, Rishi Sunak can play into his tech bro uh, mm. prior history. I'm also um, from Silicon Valley dudes. Yeah, exactly. He he speaks their language. Excited Rishi allies will tell you about why he is best place of all the world leaders to, to go on this. But also, I think that if you look at some of the polling, and there was quite an interesting poll for the iPaper this week on this, which is voters, particularly younger voters, worried about AI and what it could do, not just in terms of, I think, probably the more extreme warnings about threats to your life, but also just what it does to livelihoods in terms of what it's going to do to jobs in the future. And therefore, some in government think that if Rishi Sunak can show that he is the figure who is best placed to grapple with that, compared to Keir Starmer, who you can depict Labour as not being up to date with the technology, that is something that could help him in the future. Yeah, it's a sort of white heat of technology, 1964 theme from Hal Wilson. 
And as Katie says, it's a sort of it's a theme on both sides of the Atlantic. I mean, there's a wonderful meme which sort of captures this, which is from the White House press conference in March, where a reporter asks uh, the, pres- the president's spokesperson about uh, AI and killing us all, and they all the reporters laugh. Same question, similar theme was asked two months later, and everyone's very sober-faced. And um, that is a sort of lighthearted way of looking at how AI has become much more of a topic in the news, dominating over there, even the last few months. And so that's what Rishinak is, I think, really trying to go there. I mean, there's a story today in the time, it splashes the Times, but it was picked up by a sort of talk TV, which was about Matt Clifford, the interim chair of the AI task force, and giving estimates as to when this could actually, AI could pose a threat to humankind. I mean, he gave a range of dates, but obviously the one that everyone picked up on was the in two years kind of figure, which sort of splashed the newspapers. And he's now been on Twitter trying to kind of explain that that was just a sort of range of options but it does reflect as Katie says the way in which this is going to be a key thing I think there was a hope from some people you know sort of liberal Brexit vision which some people like around Sunak perhaps envisaged was going to have the UK as a sort of leader on AI in this field and so that's the kind of hope is that the UK can try and sort of avoid the kind of European uh, tradition which is to have much more over regulation in terms of tech companies and so that's what this is very much about although funnily enough ai is one of those industries where the industry leaders themselves are calling for more yeah, regulation for, for these existential fears well, they, now, they say they want it for now they're, true. They're, they're, um, and it, it obviously is not the same but of course we did have um you know oil and gas companies saying oh yes we'd love Texas. a windfall tax and then it arrives and they change <laughs> their mind minute, yeah. so it might not be quite the regulation they, they want fair enough and james there's an interesting piece of new polling out today from Redfield and Wilton. Uh, it's often said that Keir Starmer is not as popular personally speaking as Rishi Sunak and it's just that Labour is doing better as a party. But actually this new piece of polling shows that on things like whether or not pe- these two men care about people like me, the voter, or is willing to work with other parties, setting up their interests for the United Kingdom, on all of these different personal ratings, Keir Starmer comes out better than Rishi Sunak. Should the Conservatives be worried about that? I think that, I mean, there's two questions really there. First of all, in terms of, you know, the worried maybe, but what, what can they do, basically? And I do think that Rishi Sunak, if you compare him to you know, the poll we've seen from him versus other kind of leading Conservatives in the Cabinet, it does do better. And I still think that after the local elections, although there was perhaps you know, a real sense of disappointment among lots of Conservatives. There, there isn't, we haven't really seen a rival leadership candidate or a merger or anything like that. So I think there was talking to one MP last night who just said, you know, I think he's the best we've got. And even you talk to people in the Labour Shadow Cabinet, they'll, they, really one of the reasons why they went after him with those personalised attack ads talking about, mm. you know, about prisons was because he is seen as the Conservatives' best asset. I mean, the, the Conservative brand is in pretty dire straits, but Rishi Sinek is, is, is still the best thing they've got. That said, his, his poll ratings have, have gone down since uh, over the last two months or so. I think that's a reflection of the local elections was suddenly it went from a kind of theoretical Labour victory to an actual reality. But also the fundamentals have slightly worsened in that we thought at the start of the year when he made these five pledges that we were going to see inflation fall as fast rate that we have. Yeah. We haven't actually. Um, obviously, you know, it's now down to about 8.7% of the most recent figures. But it means, of course, that it's not it, we thought it would be much more transitory than it's actually turned out to be. So I think it's a reflection of that. Obviously, you know, I think that Rishi next team will be hoping this trip to Washington, you know, gets the kind of great images, you know. I mean, I was, mm. but even despite that, Kirstarmer is still leading by two points and can work well with foreign leaders. And that's why you see people like Rachel Reeves going out to New York, etc. It's still something to be said for going on the world stage and posing these photographs. I think in Sunak's team, there'll be a slight sense of I think there were, very, there were some of them were hoping that, you know, by, by getting these kind of wins on the global stage about being a kind of, you know, Mr. Fix-It, there could be some uh, you know, political credit for that. But we haven't seen that in terms of the recent polling. I think there's always a limit to how much world stage affects polling back home and the issues that most likely drive voters, yeah. economy, NHS. And often, as we saw with Boris Johnson, but lots of previous leaders, particularly when they're in trouble, they can take comfort from the uh, world stage and going to these events. And if you remember, I think, when 
Boris Johnson was under lots of pressure and was asked on one of these global leader trips whether he, you know, he would be leader in the next term. He said, I've got two more terms in me. And it turned out uh, very soon after to, to be so far from the case. I think what's interesting about this polling is, as James says, that there's no serious threat to Rishi Sunak right now. Ultimately, the local elections, though, I think have done what, what we said they might do, which is just kind of busted that narrative of recovery, which was slowly building. And you saw it with the sense that it felt as though the poll gap was slowly narrowing. And now it just feels those things are plateauing. And that obviously leads to more complaints from MPs, perhaps more unruly MPs. But also, I I think just in terms of um, trying to bring that focus that, you know, Rishi Sunak is this fresh face, it's harder to do. But at the same time, I think there there are a few ways of looking at it, which is, the polls haven't gone backwards very much since local elections. It's just that sense that they were going to get below 10 points in the next few weeks. Mm. It doesn't feel to me as though anyone's expecting that right now. There's still a long way. You know, if you think about the default for an election as next autumn, now there's a chance, uh, as some will say that, you know, and some said to me that they could go in spring. But I think that really rests on, you're not going to go early mm. if, you um, have polls which suggest you're 15 points behind. So there is still a lot of time for something to come up. It's just when you look ahead at the political landscape, it's easier to see problems than there are pluses to help Rishi Sunak. So I think I think on some of this polling, it's still fairly close in some of these areas, but I think the bigger issue is actually is not so much uh, Rishi Sunak versus Keir Starmer in terms of personality, because it does seem to go up and down on mm. that. It's more, if you look at these policy areas... <laughs> It just seems as though Labour just have a lead on nearly all policy areas, Mm. regularly in all polls. I think Ukraine is one area where the Tories still have a small lead. But I think you'd have to get to a point where the Tories, you know, more trusted on the economy uh, to, to really have a sense that they're putting something back, which is why there's such a sometimes monotonous focus on the five priorities, which I think is seen as, as the only way really to get to that point. And you can start to see the attack lines on Labour. So at the moment, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more depth on a future podcast, but the row for green spending, the 28 billion that Labour plan to borrow for their green jobs. That is something that you see the right starting to really go in on and trying to cause a division within Labour. So we'll have more of that. That's very interesting. Now, James, one thing that Labour will have to help it is Sue Gray, the former civil servant who's just been cleared to join Keir Starmer as his chief of staff uh, in the autumn. Tell us about that. So was it sooner than some people were expecting? Yes. Yeah, so the Cabinet Office wanted to have, we're looking at, there was a report done by the Cabinet Office looking at having a sort of year and a, a year and a half of delay before she could take up this post. Actually, it now t- comes back and a COBRA have recommended uh, a six month delay of gardening leave. So she'd be set to take it up in September, we presume given that she was revealed to be in these talks in, in March when she then handed in her resignation. Uh, but I don't think today's decision is hugely surprising. As one person within government told me, she said, why wouldn't they clear her? You know, she got them all these jobs, of course they'll clear her, you know. And I think that, <laughs> you know, a consummate Mandarin politician as Sue Gray would, I'm sure, have sort of calculated this in the factors of the decisions. You know, I think the argument can just be made against the Conservatives. It's like, well, you've we had 13 years, you know, a cobra is famous for being, a, or infamous for being a toothless uh, watchdog. You know, you could have given it a few more fangs over the years. So I think that, I think some conservatives were hoping to make kind of capital out of this and sort of keep the issue going as long as possible. But yeah, no, she's now set to take it up in the autumn. I don't think it was a huge surprise that it would be less than some of the kind of more extreme expectations. I think either way, whatever happens is she she would have taken up that role after government. And of course, it then means, you know, if she's going to be chief of staff. You can imagine day one of a Starmer government when uh, she'll be facing Simon Casey 
case who we reportedly was blocking her from taking her permanent secretary role. So we wonder how that relationship will play out. If he lasts that long. We wait and see. James and Katie, thanks so much. And thank you so much for listening.